a hand for the band. They're awesome. We love them. Good morning. It's so glad. I'm so glad to see all your wonderful faces, church. Love you all so much. Please stand up and worship with us. We're going to get a little excited, first of all, a little bit loud, so help us out. you're here in person glad you're watching on live stream facebook however you're here we're glad you're here turn around and say hi to somebody really quick all right my friends you can have a seat for just a minute 
we are going to watch an amazing video. We're off on this journey, there's no looking back, with Jesus to lead us where... that hand. VBS, y'all. The very best week of the summer. And thanks to all of the volunteers. We couldn't do what we do here at Southwoods without the amazing people that are part of what happens here. And I want you to hear a story about what happened at VBS because it's pretty awesome um, that God makes a difference. God moves. God uses Southwoods and those who are part of it. Here's a story I want to share with you. It says... There was, um, uh, let's see, a Southwoods family invited and brought two of their cousins to VBS. So bringing people is very important. These kiddos have never been to church, and the mom of these kiddos told the Southwest family that one of the boys was standing outside of their home after VBS, after he'd been through VBS, shouting, Trust in Jesus as people went by. 
This, my friends, this, my lovely people, is why we do VBS. A seed was possibly forever planted in that kiddo and in his parents. That's amazing. Thank you to everyone who was part of VBS. That's awesome. And then just one quick announcement. Uh, next week, Father's Day weekend, um, there is a, I'm quoting now, a very fun and cool thing happening here next Sunday. So please be here because you don't want to miss that. Let's stand up and worship. We serve a faithful God, amen. grateful that we get to be in this place with you today. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. 
rising up in us even as we're singing your praises, even as we're speaking your truth and your word that's going to happen today. Thank you for every heart that's here, every mind that's here. I pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, that you would speak your life and your truth and everything we need into our hearts and our minds. Lord, help us to embrace you today like we've never done before. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Really quick, I want to just talk about the three ways to give. We are blessed to be a blessing. Amen? Amen. Yes. So we want to just seek God. How does he want us to bless others? How does he want us to bless Southwoods? Well, there's three ways you can do that here. You can do it in person. You can do it online. Or you can do it through the mail. And I don't know about you, but I love to see Jackie's lovely face. So if you want to come up here, that would be the best way to do it. Because we love Jackie and we love to see her in person. So three ways to give. Just ask God what he wants you to do. We're going to continue our time of worship. And let's bless the Lord with our heart and our soul and our mind this morning. Amen. Tell him how much we love him. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. In all my days, I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head. I will sing of the goodness of God. my 
so faithful. Amen. You can have a seat for a second. We're going to move into our time of communion. If you didn't have an opportunity to get your cup of juice and your bread in the back, please make sure you go do that so you can participate with us. And there's something I want to share with you. And many of you probably saw it because it was posted on Facebook by our sweet, lovely friend, Debbie Robinson. So many of us know and love her. But I'd never seen it before. And I'm typically late to the party. So I didn't know about the book. So I immediately ordered the book. But uh, there's a, a manifesto that she posted that just hit me right in the heart and kicked me in the seat of my pants. So I want to read it to you because it really impacted me. And I think it will impact you too because it's the cross that brings us here this morning, right? The cross of Jesus Christ. Without his death, we can't have life. And without his death, our names can't be written in the Lamb's book of life. So this is something that I believe that came from God. It's not specifically scripture, but I bet we could back it up. So I'm going to read it to you. It's called the Lion Chaser's Manifesto. And if you've heard it, awesome. If you haven't, I hope you're as blessed as I was. Quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Yow. Yikes. Run to the roar. I love that. Run to the roar. Set God-sized goals. Pursue God-given passions. Go after a dream that is so destined to fail without divine intervention, there's no point in doing it. It's destined to fail without divine intervention. Stop pointing out problems and become part of the solution. Stop repeating the past and start creating the future. You know, we have the power to create too because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Face your fears. Fight for your dreams. Grab opportunity by the main and don't let go. Live like today is the first day and the last day of your life. Burn sinful bridges and blaze new trails. I love this is my favorite part. Live for the applause of nail-scarred hands. I'm going to read that again. Live for the applause of nail-scarred hands. We do what we do. Because Jesus died for us and he gave us life. And now we can live our lives for him. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Dare to fail. Dare to be different. Quit holding out. Quit holding back. Quit running away. And chase the lion, my friends. Jesus did that before he went to the cross. And this morning, we can celebrate his death and his resurrection. And we celebrate and we have joy over it because we know that it's that that gave us life. It's that that gets us a spot next to God in the heavenly realm. So grateful. So grateful for what he's done. Please remember those things when you're taking communion this morning. Thank him. Thank him for absolutely everything. Let's stand together and sing one more song.
Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you for these quiet moments just to remember your goodness, to celebrate your sacrifice and your triumph. His death was not the end for you. It was the beginning for us. And an empty grave is our destiny one day too because of what you did. We thank you. We don't deserve that now. We couldn't do enough good things to deserve it. Only you have done enough good things, Lord Jesus. We praise you and we thank you for your humility, your sacrifice on our behalf. And now for the privilege we have to honor you, to follow you, to learn from you as we look at your word, Lord. Would you open our minds and hearts and create space in our souls to absorb what it is that you'd have for us to hear and who it is you'd have for us to become. We cannot be good apart from you. But with you, nothing is impossible. So help us, Lord, as we learn from your word to walk and live like you do. And we'll rejoice to be your children. So lift this prayer together in the name of Jesus. And everybody agreed with me and said, amen. It's good to see you this morning. Good morning, Southwoods, whether you're here physically with us in, on site, or if you're listening online, we're thrilled that you're here and just trust that this morning's service has already begun to bless you, but trust that what, uh, what happens now will be a blessing as well. Almost 32 years ago, Lori, my wife, and I moved to the Kansas City area to start Southwoods Christian Church. We began to make preparations for the church 
And uh, we prepared marketing pieces. We went door to door talking to lots of people. You know, we, uh, we made thousands of phone calls. We built a team of volunteers to help us. People like Jeff and Sheila Alton and Dolores and David Taylor and Ben and Susan Florence and a long list of others, some who are still around, some who are not. And uh, people we love nonetheless and always will because of their investment with us during that era. But, you know, during uh, that time frame, a lot of adversity came our way. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget this. Uh, some of you who were around during that era won't either. But during that time, our house caught fire as we were in sort of the, the startup phase. Uh, we had friends who were house sitting uh, for us while we were away for a couple of days, uh, recovering from some of the things we'd been doing from the thousands of phone calls we'd made. And thankfully, our friends were okay, but it took contractors during the, the last days leading up to Southwood's opening day, it took contractors about four months of just totally redoing our house because we had smoke damage everywhere and all this burn damage in our kitchen and, and all the while we're living there. Living there, my office was there, contractors coming and going. Fun times, fun times. During that uh, time frame, uh, just a couple of months later, we kind of recovered from that, the basement of our house flooded. Uh, turns out that heavy rains combined with an improperly installed septic system flooded our whole basement. It was a wonderful time <laughs> to be in the Montague home. And I made a mess of everything. Um, not long after that, we tornado touched down between our home and Johnson County Executive Airport. Some of you are familiar with it. It's just west of here. It was west of our house at the time. And uh, we heard the tornado was touching down. The sirens went off. And there's one just outside our house, not very far at the time. And uh, we quickly headed to our freshly refinished basement fully expecting the tornado to hit us. In fact, we took the, uh, the strawberry pie that we had just, fin bought, just <laughs> made with us to the basement because we thought, you know, it's, we're going to at least enjoy the pie as we go. That's what we thought. So we were a little warped by this time. Uh, thankfully, the tornado didn't hit. But, you know, about four months later, a tornado hit our lives, you could say. Our first child was born two and a half months premature. He spent almost six months in neonatal intensive care with severe lung damage from which they thought he would never recover. And uh, he nearly died multiple times during that experience. And uh, praise God, you know, Joey is alive today. He's not only alive, he's getting married in two weeks. So, praise God for that. But even when he came home from the hospital, he was for 22 months, he was on oxygen. And they said he'd have brain damage and he'd have eye problems and he'd have on and on and on it goes. But, but quite literally, we say this, God healed him. I mean, God did. And there was a point in time when we knew it happened and others who were around us knew that. And those of you who know me know I don't use that word carelessly. It was a horrible experience, though, that whole window, really. It was the best of times and as they say, the worst of times, all at the same time. And we just kept thinking to ourselves, you know, Satan is really coming after us for starting this church. That's just what kept going through our minds at that stage. We were in our mid-20s, and, you know, we just, that's just the framework we had. And, but I want you to think with me. Think with me carefully about this for a moment, okay? Were we right in thinking that Satan was the one coming after us? You don't have to respond. Just want you to think with me about this. Were we right in thinking that way? Because we've all had these situations where adversity, difficulty, problems are coming to our lives, and we just we quickly want to say, you know, the evil one is coming after me. And are we wrong in thinking that? Or is there more going on than just evil opposing our lives? Well, certainly, if you read your Bible, you'll know that evil is real. And we live in a generation that wants to sort of minimize it and dumb it down. We make you know, the, the evil one sort of a little caricature and sort of laugh at him as though he's not real. But uh, anybody with eyes to see can look around our day and know that there's real evil in the world. There's, it, it's quite real. But having said that, the Bible gives us a larger perspective on adversity than we understood early in our life and that sometimes we even understand now sometimes because we get foggy on the things we're going to talk about today. Because adversity, difficulty has a way of robbing us of sober-mindedness. 
You know what I'm saying? It just sort of pushes us over a tipping point, and we just get a little crazy. It happens to all of us. Amen. And so, there you go. We're all of us. It happens to all of us. And so what I want to do this morning is give us the larger perspective on adversity than we tend to, to understand. It's just in our saner moments, we, we get this, but in our, in our weaker moments, we just don't, we don't remember this. And, and as we continue our series, we've been in Proverbs 3. For those of you who've been around, for those of you who haven't been around, this is where we've been. Uh, I want to help us see the bigger picture on adversity from this passage. If you have your Bible, turn it to Proverbs 3. Uh, we've been there the last couple of weeks, uh, two or three messages, I forget now. Uh, just just flip there with me, and uh, we're going to pick up in verses 11 and 12. This is a great chapter. I hope some of you have been reading the book of Proverbs uh, a few times during this series. Maybe some, a few of you told me I'm going to read, read a chapter a day. Uh, I, I, hope, I hope you're doing that. If you haven't done it, it's not too late to start that. Just read a chapter a day. It's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. Uh, in a month, you'll read the whole book. And um, this is great stuff. Proverbs 3, verse 11, we're going to pick up. And today I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. I just think it says it a little, I just like how it says it a little better. And and so that's what we're going to be using today. Proverbs 3, verse 11 starts out, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. Now, I recognize at this moment, some of you may be thinking, what does the Lord's discipline and rebuke have to do with adversity? What does, it, what does it have to do with that? Let me show you. Because this exact same passage right here, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, is quoted in the New Testament. Whoa. The Old Testament's quoted in the New Testament sometimes, right? It, it happens. This is one instance where it shows up. Uh, turn in your Bibles if you want to, or just follow along with me, Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to listen carefully. Let me start at verse 5. Listen, I'm going to read the quote, and then the verses that surround it in this passage, because it sheds light on these two verses, okay? Scripture says in Hebrews, New Testament, Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? Now just pause right there. It's just... It, have you forgotten? The writer's saying, which is, yeah, I have forgotten because we all forget this. I mean, this is, you're going to have to be reminded of what we're about to read repeatedly throughout the course of your life because adversity sometimes stuns us and gets us off our game. But here's what the scripture says. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. And verse 7 goes on and says, and this is key if it's your Bible, underline it. Endure hardship as discipline. Let me just pause right there. That word hardship, it could be adversity. Endure adversity as discipline. Endure difficulty. Endure suffering. Endure things not going your way as discipline. Now, let's, with that in mind, with it being adversity, I want us to go back just a couple of verses there. Look at verse five and six, or verse 6, the quote from Proverbs 3. And let's look at that again. My son, do not make light of the Lord's adversity. It's saying, understand discipline is adversity. Adversity is discipline. So don't make light of the Lord's adversity. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord, shall we say, sometimes brings adversity to the one he loves. And he chastises, chastens, some translations say. Everyone he accepts as a son. Now let's go ahead and finish the passage. Endure hardship, adversity is discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? And if you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. 
No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, Proverbs 3 and Hebrews 12 here are telling us how we should understand adversity, how we should think about it, how we should mentally process difficulties, hardships, suffering, circumstances in life that come our way that aren't what we would wish. And every one of us needs to understand what we're going to talk about this morning because every one of us is going to face adversity. No exceptions. You may be thinking to yourself in this moment, you know, I've skated by and I've kind of like avoided a lot of things. Good for you. It won't continue. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Like this is, this is the wake-up call for you today. That the day will come when adversity will ring your doorbell and you won't be able to make it go away. It happens to everybody. So what I want us to do for the next few minutes is talk about how to understand adversity, how to mentally process it, and the difficulties and hardships that will come into our lives unsolicited, without invitation. Today's passages reveal uh, probably multiple perspectives, but at least three perspectives on adversity that, that we want to talk about, that I want to talk about this morning. These are all perspectives that we've got to keep in mind simultaneously. It, you know, some, some things like this, you can kind of think, okay, well, I'm going to focus on this one and I'll ignore the other two or something like that. Really, all three of these perspectives we need to keep in mind, kind of balance in our mind constantly because you miss one and the other two will whack you. They'll sneak up on you and get you. So, so we got to keep all three in perspective. So that said, uh, we'll really focus. I hope you'll listen really close to these three biblical perspectives on adversity. The first one is that adversity... From God's perspective, it's spiritual parenting. That's how we have to think of it. It's spiritual parenting. If you look at Hebrews 12 there that we read, you'll notice that there are terms used in the text like child, children, son, father, all this stuff. What is that? That's all family language. Eleven times in these seven verses, there's all this family language packed into it, and that's on purpose. It's because you and I are God's children, and according to... To these verses and others we could look at if time would allow, God disciplines us as a parent does a child disciplines his child he loves, right? That's what the scripture is telling us. And we all know how children love discipline, right? They love it. Look at this. You can see it right here. When they're young, they love discipline. They love adversity that comes in their life when things don't go their way. And guess what? When they're older, we don't love it anymore, right? I mean, we still hate it. We don't like that. We just, we get more refined in how we have our temper tantrums as adults. That's all we do. Yeah, I read this past week about a dad who uh, was dealing with his teenage son, and he uh, put his son's 1998 Ford Explorer up for sale with the following ad, and I thought this is great. He, his ad, Craigslist ad, says this, I have my son's truck up for sale that I bought for him as his first car. He thinks it's cool to drive around with his friends smoking dope and acting all thug. Not showing me and my wife the respect we deserve. Price negotiable. I bet that truck sold fast. You know, probably to the first offer. Uh, I'm sure that son understood, right? The adversity, the difficulty, the chastisement, the discipline, pick your word, that came into his life as a result of, of his father's choice to correct his son, right? Truth is, sometimes we don't understand God's discipline, his spiritual discipline, much better than that kid that was in that picture. I mean, sometimes we just don't get it. We don't like it. It's unpleasant. It's painful. But thankfully, there's another biblical perspective on adversity that we all need to keep firmly in mind. So first of all, what is it? Adversity is what? Spiritual parenting. Say it with me. Adversity is spiritual parenting. Okay, this is important. We've got to have this. It's spiritual parenting. This is we're talking about a mindset, a framework for viewing these kinds of things in our lives. 
But the second perspective that the text is kind of conveying to us is that adversity is temporary. Adversity is temporary. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 says it this way, No discipline seems pleasant. It's implied here, but just notice it. No discipline seems pleasant, note, note the next words, at the time, right? But painful. And then what's the next two words? Later on, however, we'll just pause right there. Just pause right there. You, you see the temporary nature of it that's implied in the biblical text. The beginning of this verse is just acknowledging something that every parent understands about discipline. And that is that there's, there's life after discipline. You know, it's usually temporary. Now, if you're the kid, you know, who was in the picture, you're freaking out because... It seems eternal. It seems permanent. It seems like it will never end. I am stuck in this trap and I will never escape. And we kind of work ourselves up in because of fear and frustration into a frenzy. God wants us to remember that adversity is temporary, just like discipline. At the time, it seems painful and horrible, like it will never end, but it's temporary. There will come an end to it. It will pass. The writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews sort of addresses this with some early believers of Jesus, talking about the temporary nature of suffering and adversity in uh, Hebrews 10, just a couple chapters earlier than that Hebrew 12, Hebrews 12 passage that we were in. And this is what he says. He's talking about adversity and hardship and suffering. And he says, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ and remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. It just notice what he's doing. He's reminding them. Why? Because in the moment, they're forgetting it all. It's like, just like he starts out in Hebrews 12 saying, have you forgotten here he's saying, you know, he's clearly forgotten. Remember, remember, remember. Verse 33, he says, Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when, you, when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. And here he says why. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. He's just appealing to them, trying to help them to remember that adversity is temporary even if it seems permanent to you. Even if you had all your stuff confiscated from you. Even if it all burned. Even if your car is carjacked. Even if bad things happen. There are better things waiting for us that will last forever. I thought it was interesting earlier, you know, the comment about sort of life and what it's really all about. And I was just thinking this week, you know, our life expectancy is not 80 years of bucket list fulfillment. It's not. We're eternal beings, and a day is coming when every tear will be dried, every wrong will be made right, and all sickness and evil will be removed. Forever, Scripture couldn't be more clear about that. It paints that picture over and over and over again. And what it means is that adversity, however close to home and permanent it feels, is temporary. It's temporary. Is it painful? Probably. Could be. but it's temporary. And as we process all of that, let me, before I move on, adversity is what? What's the word? Temporary. Yeah, spiritual parenting. Thank you. Adversity is spiritual parenting. Say it with me. Adversity is spiritual parenting. Adversity is temporary. Adversity is temporary. Okay? So we got these two things in our head now. Keep them simultaneously in your head. Got to remember these things. And in the meantime, while we're processing that, we need to remind ourselves often of a third biblical perspective on adversity. And this is one that the evil one loves to mock as much as possible. And just listen, but he will. 
And that is that adversity is for our good. It's for our good. And that's a difficult thought for our generation to accept, but it's true. It's true. A few years ago, pastor and author John Ortberg, who I enjoy his writing, his teaching, he's a fascinating, interesting person. But he wrote about this very idea and adversity and just that it's good for us in the Leadership Journal, a periodical. He writes this. I just want to share a little bit of it with you because it's, it's very well done. He just writes, I'm part of a generation of adults called helicopter parents because we're constantly trying to swoop into our kids' educational life, relational life, sports life, etc., to make sure no one is mistreating them, no one is disappointing them. We want them to experience one obstruct, unobstructed success after another. He writes, one Halloween, a mom came to our door to trick or treat. Why didn't she send her kid? I thought. Well, the weather's a little bad, she said. And she was driving so she didn't have to so he didn't have to walk in the mist. But why not send him to the door? He'd fallen asleep in the car, she said, so she didn't want to have to wake him up. On and on it goes. John writes, I felt like saying, why don't you eat all his candy and get his stomach ache for him too? Then he can be completely protected. He finishes with this, with this thought. He says, uh, if you could wave a wand, if you could erase every failure, setback, suffering, and pain from your kid's life, are you sure it would be a good idea? Would it cause your child to grow up to be better, stronger, a more generous person? Is it possible that in some way people actually need adversity, setbacks, maybe even something like trauma to reach the fullest level of development and growth? It's a great question. And the answer from God's perspective is that adversity, failure, setbacks, suffering, pain are for our good. Why he allows them into our lives. And that's why Hebrews 12, verses 10 and 11 says, real succinctly, says, you know, they, our earthly fathers, is who it's talking about, who they is there. Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a little while while they thought best, but God disciplines us, notice what it says, for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces, notice what it says, a harvest of righteousness, kind of right living, and peace for those who've been trained by it. Then a couple of verses later, verse 14, it adds this, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. These verses are explaining that if you and I will humbly embrace adversity rather than curse it, run from it, try to ignore it, if we'll just humble ourselves and embrace it as it comes, it will produce over time in us. It can produce holiness and righteousness and a deep reservoir of peace in us. And in the end, we'll see the Lord. We'll see the Lord, who is well acquainted with suffering, adversity, difficulties. Which brings me really to our great, great need during adversity. And in one word, the word that kind of overarches really all of Proverbs 3, in one word, it's the word trust. It's really the key to standing in the midst of adversity. It's trust. Kind of reminds us of the very first message in the series. Remember, it was from Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, where the scriptures tell us. Sort of starts all of this, and it just says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In other words, don't just think about adversity from a human vantage point. You got to trust. You got to trust. Verse 6 says, In all your ways submit to him, 
and he will make your paths straight. So this morning I need to ask you, is there any adversity in your life right now that maybe you need to think differently about? Maybe it's just, maybe you got something going right now. The truth is you just need to think about it because so far it's just been rocking your world emotionally and, and you need to like turn that valve off or down some and, and think more carefully about what's going on. I, I know that's hard to do because when we started the church, we went through that whole era and I remember it was tough. It's tough because you just feel like a boxer and you just keep getting punched and blindsided and kicked. It's an MMA fight, you know, and you're, you're on the receiving end is how you feel in that moment. But is there any adversity in your life right now that maybe the Holy Spirit through His Word is saying, would you think differently about it? Yes, there's evil at work against your life, but it's far more than that. Maybe God's allowed this into your world because He wants to do some good things in your heart that right now you're maybe not valuing as highly as, say, 80 years from now, you'll value those things. Maybe you need to try thinking of the adversity in your life as spiritual parenting. Maybe you need to think of it as painful right now, but temporary. And just keep reminding yourself of that. Even if temporary is down the road, it's, it's temporary. You just need to keep reminding yourself it's ultimately for your good. You can't see it right now, but cling to verses like, you know, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8 says that. And there are other passages like that. Will you choose to trust and not listen to all the mockers that are out there who want to make fun of this stuff like it's cockamamie somehow, but will you just trust that God can and will bring something good out of it? You trust that there are better things waiting for you that will last forever? I want to close by sharing with you the message that God gave to his children, Israel, in ancient times when they were experiencing a very painful period of adversity and hardship and suffering. Horrible things were happening in Israel during that period of time. But nonetheless, I mean, and if you read the biblical text, things that God was allowing to come into their lives. I mean, he was allowing them to happen. But this was God's commentary. This is what he told them, what his, his ultimate perspective and motive was about all this. And what he said to them, he's still telling us in Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. God speaking, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And they are plans for good Plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And those are words when you're in times of adversity that are worth clinging to. Because what God said then, he's still saying to us. He's saying to you. I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me. We're going to pray as we wrap up this morning. Uh, maybe you need to invite Jesus into your heart and life. You just need to recognize he died on a cross. Not because he had to, he chose it. It wasn't just scripted somehow by a government. It was scripted in the heavens. It was his choice to die in your place on the cross, taking your sins on him. And by him dying, he was taking your punishment your suffering, the eternal adversity that you and I deserve. He was taking all of that upon himself. And when you and I cry out to him in faith, part of what happens is he says he, he embraces you as his child. He'll fill you with his spirit. The forgiveness that he deserves before the Father, he will confer upon you because you're now his adopted son or daughter. But it begins when you and I look heavenward and just say, Lord Jesus, I have fallen short. Will you forgive me? Will you cleanse me? Will you make me yours? Scripture teaches that 
that all who do that are to be baptized. It's sort of a, sort of a physical representation of the death of self and the, the resurrection to new life when you come up out of the water. It's a picture. Maybe you need to be baptized, some of you. We've got a couple of people going to be baptized in a couple of weeks on the 27th, so maybe some of you want to join us. Uh, let us know and we can help you think about that or, or plan for that. But uh, maybe some of us need to do that. Maybe some of us this morning just need prayer. You're middle adversity. you got something going on, and, you know, you just, you just need somebody to pray for you. And that's uh, no, you should be able to go to church and be prayed for, friends. So don't be timid about that, okay? All right, let's bow our heads and pray. And I hope you'll respond to any of these things as the Holy Spirit leads. Father, we thank you for your grace, your goodness, that you never leave us, that you have better things in store for us in the future that will last forever. Really, all of life is a big adversity test. It's a big opportunity to learn and grow and Help us, Lord, to remember that you're just a loving Father and that all of the adversity is temporary. Help us to remember that what's happening in our lives, though it's painful, in the end, because you are good, it will be good for us. You'll bring good out of it, not just in this life, but in eternity. You will milk it dry. Every good thing that could come out of it, you're going to you're going to bring out of our lives in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our shortcomings. And now, Lord, as we leave this place, would you help us to reflect and remember on these, remember these things? Because our tendency, just like the biblical writer would say, our tendency is to forget. Help us to remember. And certainly your presence with us would help us with that. So go with us, empower us, Forgive us, strengthen us, use us, claim us, watch out for us. Thanks for your grace, for hearing our prayers and going with us now. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all.